What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 73, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode Beneath the Surface. Beneath the Surface! Beneath the Surface! Beneath the Surface. Uh, We're an independent podcast. You can help keep this thing independent by uh, finding us on Patreon. There's a link in the description. Yeah. Did I do that last time? I think I did. Um, And it's uh, patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate spelt how it should be uh every dollar that is contributed is going to zach's computing device thank you so much for those of you who signed up uh, and have contributed it is making a difference uh and it's pretty great i appreciate it so much zach appreciates it so much if i could speak for him uh you can always find our podcast everywhere where there are standard podcasts aggregators google podcast apple podcast spotify podcasts we're not planning on putting anything behind a paywall except for the good stuff and then we'll put the good stuff out on the regular feed at some point um don't forget, if you leave an Apple review, we'll do a dramatic recreation. And hey, Zach. Yes, Brent? Speaking of dramatic recreation. Yes. You ready? I am ready. Let's do it. absolutely adore Zach and Brent's podcast. From their Stargate-related trivia, the philosophical analysis of small details... And the fan-made previews! Mm-hmm. Walking through the Stargate never fails to keep my interest. Although... I've seen Stargate several times. Hearing the thoughts of a first-time viewer manages to bring... And a new appreciation for the show. The side tangents, of course, are always entertaining as well. And make the podcast worth every chevron and possibly Catherine Powers of their unique rating system. All in all, there's only one thing to say. This is a Stargate podcast. Nice. Nice. So thanks to the Mad Baron for leaving that review. If you want to hear us make fools of ourselves, go on to Apple uh, Podcasts and put in a little review in the thingamathing. Uh, and we're also keeping an eye on email. If you are an international listener and you put into your international Apple International an international review in a language that we don't speak, uh, I promise to put it into Google Translate and read it word for word. It's going to be pretty great. <laughs> Especially if you put in like idioms. Or phrases that are difficult to translate. Oh, that'd be so fun. Oh, wow. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. So, um, 
let's see here. Uh, yeah, so thanks so much for the reviews. Um, also, uh, as a quick little reminder, we will be also, of course, saying thanks to people all that uh, sign up on our Patreon. So if you want to uh, hear me say, hey, thanks, so-and-so, you can do that as well. Uh, and Zach, if they uh, just want to get a hold of us for some other reason, like uh, to let us know that our idea of a romantic comedy is very screwed up and uh, that's not how it goes, thank you very much. How might they, how might they do that? You know, the you can get a hold of us in a lot of different ways. You can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That is W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Stargate Walking or on Facebook. We have the Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page and Facebook group. Uh, most of the conversation really happens in the Facebook group, uh, but go ahead and, uh, you know, like that Facebook page and... and uh, uh, then you'll get some notifications as they come up. So, oh, also yep. you can right uh, also find us on Patreon. Um, talking a little bit to the Patreon patrons there. Uh, I did send out an email earlier this week. Actually, you know, it's just last night. Uh, I just felt like earlier this week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, reminding them of uh, the the shift that we've got in our Patreon feed um if you are a uh patron at the three dollar level the gate jogger level uh you get one vote a month uh for a rewatch or recount episode if you are a gate sprinter that's the ten dollar a month level you get five votes a month if you go on to the 25 dollar a month gate marathoner you get 15 votes a month for a rewatch and a recount uh and as soon as any given episode uh aggregated over time gets at least 20 votes for that episode. We will rewatch that episode and mm-hmm. re-talk about it and give mm-hmm. it new chevrons and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, maybe new chevrons. Well, we will re-rate it and yes. perhaps they'll get a different yes. chevron level. Yes. Um, uh, there's also space for you Patreon listeners to, uh, in the, uh, the, the survey I sent out, to write any comments. If you have any questions or thoughts about the specific episode that you want us to address and talk about, uh, you, maybe we missed it last time or something come up, who, whatever it is, fill that out as well, and we'll talk about that. Those podcasts will go onto the Patreon feed to start, and then uh, those who are Patreon subscribers will have access to those right away. And at some point in time, later on, in the future, unknown to us now, but known to us in the future, uh, those will go onto the regular feed as well. Yep. That's how it's going to work. So, that's how it's going to work. Great. So uh, go ahead, uh, Patreon listeners. Uh, I should have sent those out to you uh, those yesterday. So go ahead and fill those out. Send them back in to me. Uh, if you run into any problems, go ahead and email me. Yeah. Yep. That's a good way to do that's it. That's how that works. Yep. Um, so, uh, so should we confess, Zach, uh, that, um, that just before we started to hit record, uh, you and I had a brilliant idea, just fantastic idea. We decided to have a little brunch. Brun- brunch is a uh, euphemism for alcohol. Hey, you can't drink all day unless you start early. So, you know, um, as far as our podcast listeners are concerned, we could have been recording this at like 10 o'clock at night, and so it's normal. Now, it's actually closer to 10 o'clock in the morning, but shh, don't tell them that, Brent. It's brunch. It's brunch. So, uh, for me, it's brunch without food. Um, and so, uh, this episode's going to be a good one. We decided, you know <laughs> what? Uh, just need a little, just, just, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to have a beer. Zach's going to have a little mead. And, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, 
we by the end of this thing, we might end up. Uh, who knows? Who knows where we're going to be at the end of this one? Who knows? But this Brent, is going to be this is going to be interesting. I gotta say that the mead I'm drinking right now is not just normal mead. This is a a, a chocolate coffee mead. Uh, it's called Triple Buzz. It's made by a, a local meadery here near mm-hmm. my place of uh, pl- the place I live, my dwellings. Mm-hmm. That was the word I was thinking. I'm like, that's not a word. <laughs> um, it's it's easily my favorite mead of theirs. Uh, it's really good. So if you ever come to Central Iowa, make sure you come to the Buzz to Be and get some Triple Mead. I've been uh, there. From them. It's really good. It is good. All right. So before this goes too far off the rails, shall we dig into this episode, Brent? Yes, let's do it. All right. So this episode, Beneath the Surface, is uh, directed by Peter DeLuise. This is his sixth episode of eight episodes Mm -hmm. this season. Um, And up until this point, uh, Peter and Martin Wood have been just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth the whole season. I think, if I recall correctly, next week that changes. So we'll get mm-hmm. a different director next week. The teleplay for Beneath the Surface is by Heather E. Ash. Aha! Uh-huh. I recognize uh, that we name. We have heard her name before. Uh, she drew, she wrote uh, a few episodes in season three, Learning Curve. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was just curious about this. So Learning Curve, Brent, you and I both gave that episode seven chevrons. Mm-hmm. Foothold, uh, you gave it five chevrons, and I gave it four and a half chevrons. Mm-hmm. And then later on in that season, she directed, or not directed, tel- wrote the teleplay for New Ground. And again, you gave it five, and I gave it four and a half. Mm-hmm. She's got this episode here. This is her only episode in season four, Beneath the mm-hmm. Surface. And she has one more episode in season five. Mm-hmm. Good to know. So, there we go. Uh, we have several guest actors worth talking about. We have Allison Matthews. She plays Brenna. She was the, the foreman for the the uh, factory down up under underneath, under the mm-hmm. surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is apparently known for appearing in Final Destination 2, Stargate SG-1, and Battlestar Galactica. Ah, okay. Uh, her first credit, according to IMDb, was as a customer in the TV movie A Child is Missing. And A Child is Missing okay. is about a hermit living in the Washington Mountains who stumbles upon a boy who has been kidnapped. He does everything in his power to save the boy, but he becomes a suspect. Meanwhile, the boy's mother, who's estranged from her rich father, accepts his help with the ransom money. When it's left, uh, when it's left the weather allows the kidnapper to collect it uh, without detection, and another ransom note is posted asking for much more money. The hermit then teams up with the mother to find her son if they can before he's killed. Oh my goodness! Um, and, uh, and Allison played a customer in there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Um, so she probably uh, got like three seconds of her, of time on that. The the Fonz Henry Winkler is is uh, one of the main title characters, title actors ah, in that. Is he the show. rich? Uh, is, he, is he the rich father? Presumably, I don't know. He, don't he's know. probably the hermit. Oh, he could be the hermit. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I didn't look that close. We yeah, have okay. Kim Hawthorne who plays Kagan. Mm-hmm. Kim is a native of Newark, New Jersey, and she began studying opera at the age of 12. Mm-hmm. She then earned her Bachelor of Arts in Musical Theater from Birmingham Southern College with honors. Mm-hmm. Uh, she launched her professional career 
at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, Georgia, where she originated the role of Minnie Dove Charles in Pearl Kleeg's Flyin' West under the direction of Kenny Lehan. Mm-hmm. Uh, she moved to New York, where she made her Broadway debut, uh, performing the lead role of Queen in Cy Coleman and Ira Gassman's musical The Life, directed by Michael Blakemore. Blakemore. Gotcha. Okay. Her feature film roles include The Chronicles of Riddick, mm-hmm. Along Came a Spider. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was also a series regular on C- Louis C.K.'s first HBO show, Lucky Louie. And she was nominated for Canada's prestigious Leo Award for her role in Da Vinci's Inquest. Mm-hmm. And of course, she's, uh, she recurred on the TV series Rake and on ABC Family's Switched at Birth. Gotcha. And she also has a voice credit for Stargate Infinity. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so there's this small outside chance that I might see, see slash hear her again. It's entirely possible. Mm, okay. um, then we have Lori Murdoch, who plays Administrator Calder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lori was born uh, on April 15th, 1958 in New Westminster, British Columbia, Canada. He is an actor known for Spotlight in 2015, The Mist in 2017, and Rookie Blue in 2010. Mm-hmm. His first credit, however, according to IMDb, was in 1991, where he played Father Jim in an episode of MacGyver. Oh, there you go. Nice. Mm-hmm. Bringing it all back together. There you go. Okay. The original air date for Beneath the Surface was September 1st, 2000. Number one on the charts, September mm-hmm. 1st, 2000, in the U.S. was... It doesn't really matter. Nah, you did Dan that Jackson. joke last week. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it was a joke. I, I was literally reading what's on the page. Well, the screen. Yeah. And I got to tell you that uh, that every time I pull, well, almost every time that I pull up one of these number ones, especially the U.S. number ones, I'm like, oh, right, that song. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so I felt like it, I, I didn't really feel like an idiot, idiot, but it was just like, oh, right. It doesn't really matter. Okay, yeah. So, in the UK, they were listening to Madonna sing music. Yeah, I know that song, but I'll still pull it up. Okay, well, that's good, good because while I know Madonna, uh, I don't know music by the name music. You'll recognize it. I don't know music. Yeah, it was everywhere. Yeah, okay. Well, Brent, as you pull it up, I say Mm -hmm. bring it on. (laughs) Space Cowboys, (laughs) Highlander Endgame, What Lies Beneath. The original kings of comedy. Yes, yeah, that was pretty- <laughs> no, no flourish. Just straight up, just bang, just rake, bang, right bang, up. bang, bang, bang. There you go. Yep. <clears throat> okay. So, yeah. uh, what happened on this date or around this date in 2000? And the short answer is, gosh, nothing. Nothing is happening. What was happening at this time that was terribly exciting. Uh, mm. On September 2nd, the Backstreet Boys lead vocalist Brian Littrell, or Littrell, I don't know how he's mm. it, uh, weds actress Leanne Wallace at Peachtree Christian Church in Atlanta, Georgia. On September 3rd, Will and Grace actress Deborah Messing weds actor-screenwriter Daniel Zellman at a private estate in Santa Barbara, California. And on September 4th, the England... England claims the first series 3-1 to one, over West Indies, their first series since 1961, 
Um, and I'm going to read this specifically because these words don't mean anything to me. Win fifth test by 158 runs at the Oval London Woo! Windies. Captain Courtney Walsh's 132nd and final test. Yes. I've been to the Oval. Okay. Wonderful. I've witnessed what they're talking about. I think, oh. did I see, I thought I saw, um, I think I saw a friendly between, who was it? It was Sri Lanka was, was one team and they were real. The fans, it was great. The fans were really, was it England? I think it might've been England. It was a lot of fun. It's so cricket. We're talking cricket. Sure. So, you know, there I you mean, go. I was looking at my, my go-to place for, for what was happening at this time. And I'm like, oh, this really was a boring weekend. Yeah, <laughs> one of the most exciting things is that England claimed its first test over the West Indies since 1969. Yeah, specifically right. the Windies captain Courtney Walsh's 132nd and final test. Waved wow. his hand and took us and walked off the pitch. Goodbye. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Brent, we do have some uh, trivia for this episode. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, I want to say that Teal'c's caterpillar is finally gone. It has oh my gosh, I didn't even notice. Blossomed into a butterfly and gone somewhere else. Oh, thank goodness! Wow, yes. I'm surprised I didn't notice that. Ah, uh, yes, that little thing. And and you will be heartened to know <laughs> that this is the last time. Well, last time was the last time uh, that you will ever see that caterpillar. Again, unless there yes. are excerpts in other episodes later, but but you know it's not like a like an he doesn't grow it back ever. I mean, like it was like a twofer. Like if he had decided to grow that little duty soul patch thing, like that'd be fine. But he decided to bleach it. Yeah. Like that was the that was the sort of the thing that kind of put it. That's what made it look like it was not real. Yep, yep. It's like well, did wh- you whatever just it was. Go into the drawer and grab a eyebrow. Like what happened there? <laughs> yeah. Um. So when Teal'c was brainwashed, his name was Tor, uh, and that's likely a reference or an homage or a nod of the head to Tor Alexander Valenza, who Mm -hmm. wrote and edited a number of episodes of the series. Uh, So there you go. Thank you, Tor. Um, At the end of the episode, when Administrator Calder and a couple of goons comes into Brenna's office with guns, those guns are actually Nintendo zappers with ah, their barrels sawed off and then I, painted. They sure did. Yep. Yep. Uh, when, when I saw that, when I heard that little tidbit there, I'm like, oh, that is so cool. It is not only cool, but also when they walked in with the guns, I'm like, those look strangely familiar. Yep. Well, that's why. And there you go. That's, that's why. why. Right. Uh, so the, the set for the factory was used in a previous episode, a couple of previous episodes for Tin Man. And also, just a couple episodes back, Watergate. Oh, yeah, okay. Yep. So, most yep. of Watergate happened on a different level um, than this. So, this happened on, like, the, the lower level, and most of what we saw in Watergate happened on the upper level of it. Sure. Uh, but if you look carefully, you can actually see some some shots that, like, oh, yeah, that's clearly the same space as that other one. Oh, yeah. So no, I, can, uh, I, I can't think of anything exactly in specific between those three episodes. However... Yeah, I can see. And yep. get big, getting back to your point last week about how, you know how lighting makes a big difference, but yeah, it's yeah, looks like a steam um, plant of some kind. A lot of the uh, the heavy equipment and things was already there, um, although things that were on fire and exploding, and uh, they were saying that a lot of the uh, the steam and such was actually just like teapots hiding behind things and just boiling water. Yeah. So yeah, that stands to reason. Yep. Uh, Joseph Malozzi, who is one of the producers of the show 
uh, wrote this in his blog. He said, I like the premise of this episode and the first couple of versions of the script even more. Whether it was because the episode came up short or simply because I was aware of those early drafts, Beneath the Surface came up short for me. Mm-hmm. In the end, it seemed to lack the emotional core present in those early versions where the relationship between the amnesiac Jack and Sam was a lot less nebulous. They were together, and given the groundwork we'd laid in episodes leading up to this one, the admission of feelings, the time loop kiss, etc., it seemed like a logical progression. Mm-hmm. However, there was some feeling, most notably from Amanda, that it was too much too soon mm-hmm. and that the arc might prove a disservice to the characters. So the episode's romantic elements were stripped away. I loved the notion of our two main characters having to abandon their established relationship for a forgotten life in which they are no longer together. Some fans were disappointed, others breathed a sigh of relief. I'd be one of the others. Yeah. Tension is good, especially if you don't know how many episodes of a show you have left. Yep. Yep. And I have one more trivia thing here for us. Uh, mm-hmm. This episode and the Star Trek Voyager two-part episode, Workforced, Workforce, uh, which aired just about six months after this episode, both mm. share significant plot elements of their main characters losing their memories. And both draw heavily from the 1927 Fritz Lang silent film Metropolis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Metropolis, I had to look this up because uh, Peter DeLuise talked a lot about Metropolis and mm-hmm. how he ripped him off uh, during the commentary. Uh, Metropolis is a 1927 German expressionist science fiction drama that was directed by Fritz Lang and written by Thea von Harbu. Mm-hmm. Uh, made in Germany during the Weimar period, Metropolis is set in a futuristic urban dystopia and follows the attempts of Freder, the wealthy son of the city master, and Maria, a saintly figure to the workers, uh, to overcome the vast gulf separating the classes in their city and bring the workers together with Hjo uh, Freiderson, the city master. The film's uh, message is encompassed in the final intertitle, the mediator between the head and the hands must be the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there you go. That it's is a just movie. a little bit about uh, Metropolis. Uh, if you can survive uh, a silent film like that and recognize that you are looking at a movie that was made in 1927, so it's looking very, very different than what you experience and see I, in But I tell cinema. you what, I tell you what, um, if you if you consider that it is a film that was made in the really early days of cinema, um, the special effects are pretty freaking impressive. Germany at this time was like killing it in uh, film, like with the innovation in film. It was amazing. Oh yeah, they Good they stuff. were they were the primary film makers in those early decades. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until after the World War II that really the United States really. Uh, took control and and maintained their and still to this day have maintained mm-hmm. that that primacy spot as the number one place for cinema. Uh, this title in other languages, in French they call it Beneath the Ice. Oh yeah. Uh, in German they call it Planet of the Ice Age, and everywhere else they just call it Beneath the Surface. <sighs> Good films. There you, Poor there you go. Episode titles. <clears throat> yep. Yep. <laughs> so. Brent. Yes. As I take another sip of my triple buzz mead. I have been enjoying my Ravinia brewing uh, Flight of the Rooster this whole time. Oh, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. m- my my triple buzz is getting near the end of its glass. Oh, dear. 
Yeah. Well, I'm not going to get another glass because that would be crazy. Hey, you do what you got to do, dude. Yeah. Well, okay. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. The alarm goes off. Teal'c, along with several other workers, rises from his bunk and begins his day. Jack and Sam and Daniel are there, too. The foreman steps up and shouts, Congratulations! Their work has kept the greenhouses powered for another two months. With constant vigilance, they will one day reclaim the surface of their planet from an ice age. It is my honor to serve, say the people. While in line for food, Jack and Daniel get into a fight over bread. Jack is going by the name Jonah, Daniel by the name Carlin. The two don't appear to know each other. Tilk runs in trying to break up the fight. He goes on about how they are friends. They're part of SG-1. This isn't right. We don't belong here. Tilk, who is actually called Tor, is drawn away ranting and raving with what the workers and the foreman call night sickness. Jonah and Carlin deny knowing anything about Tor. Jonah, who is actually really O'Neill, and Thera, who is actually really Carter, seem to know each other and work closely together in this underneath-the-surface dystopian place. Carlin, who is really Jackson, on the other hand, seems to be estranged from his former teammates. Instead, he is close friends with Kagan. Beneath the surface, living conditions are pretty rough, and everything looks like one good sneeze would make the whole place explode. And not surprisingly, Thera wants to fix it all. On Earth, General Hammond is in contact with Administrator Calder. Calder is one of the leaders of a city on P3R118, and he regrets to inform the General that his search has found no sign of SG-1. They went out beyond the dome, protecting, they went out beyond the dome protecting the city from a terrible ice age to explore a nearby glacier, but they have not returned. Now, Hammond is unwilling to give up on his people and so sends an SG team led by Major Griff to look for them one more time. Calder agrees and disconnects the communication. Ominously, Calder walks around his office, calling an aide. He wants to see Brenna, the foreman, in the morning to see how their new workers are doing. Beneath the surface, Daniel begins to dream about the Stargate and about Jack but cannot figure out what the shimmering circle of water is. Slowly, his memories start to resurface. Perhaps Jonah, Thera, and, and even Tor really were his friends once. Perhaps they were doing something bigger, something more important than just shoveling coal. Confiding in Kagan, she tries to dissuade him from this line of thought. If he keeps talking like that, people are going to think Carlin is night sick. Besides... Thera and Jonah are simply brown nosers, wanting to, only to get on Brenna's good side. But Daniel continues his search for the truth. In Administrator Calder's office, Calder questions Brenna. He wants to know why the memory stamp didn't work on Teal'c. Most likely it's because of the creature that he carries within him. But he's been stamped again, and it seems to be working this time. Brenna also shares that shares some of Thera's ideas for improving efficiency at the plant. If successful, the plant would be more automated and more stable. But Calder isn't interested in these things. What would the workers do if they didn't have work to do? Would they come up onto the surface? How would they fit in this utopian city we've made? He is only interested in maintaining power, both literally and figuratively. 
the workers must remain as they are. Thera's ideas are rejected. When Thera hears the news, she is understandably frustrated. She returns to Jonah to vent. He stands there calm and collected. And when she asks how he does that, he responds simply that he probably handled dangerous explosives in another life. Major Griff's team returns to Earth, reporting that they found no sign of SG-1 on the glacier. Beyond that, he doubts very much that Colonel O'Neill would have allowed either Major Carter or Dr. Jackson to take the team out to the glacier in the first place. And if Administrator Calder says that that's what happened, then Administrator Calder is a damn liar. Beneath the surface, Carlin continues to search for the truth. He realizes that he cannot remember very far into his own past and finds that quite unusual. Later, while moving to release the pressure from one of the machines, Teal'c passes out. The pressure rises dramatically, threatening to explode and take out the entire section. Daniel, Jack, and Sam work together to save the facility. Yay! Afterward, Daniel takes the opportunity to try to get to know the other two better. He learns that Thera has been having dreams as well. Dreams about the Stargate. And they agree to meet after lights out. General Hammond has very few choices other than breaking off diplomatic relations with the planet. But, not content with simply walking away, he orders Griff to draw up plans for a covert search and rescue operation. Dr. Frazier volunteers to join the team. Carter, Jackson, and O'Neill continue to slowly remember more and more of their past. Sam recalls details about the SGC, details like SG-1, DHD, GDO. Jack begins to remember his feelings for Carter, and the two grow closer. Personalities begin to resurface as they continue to dig deeper. Expressions like, for crying out loud, escape. And Sam inadvertently refers to O'Neill as, sir. What? It's an expression. Teal'c is still sick, and his condition is getting worse. The medic wants to remove the bandages covering Teal'c's abdomen, but Brenna stops him. Under no circumstances should those bandages be removed. After everyone else leaves, Teal'c looks down at the bandages and begins to remove them. Brenna speaks to Calder. Sam, Jack, and Daniel are secretly talking to each other. Teal'c also seems to remember, uh, at, least, at least he is having an adverse reaction to the stamp. He's getting sick and he's dying. Calder decides that it's time for SG-1 to experience life outside the dome. They didn't simply object to the treatment of the workers. They objected to the city's way of life. They objected to their entire society. And we cannot have that. In a dream, O'Neill remembers seeing the city and speaking with Calder. He confronted him about the slave labor underground and refused to recommend trade with this world. And in response, Calder offers to show the plant to the colonel and how he ensures the loyalty of the workers. Brenna does not like the order to allow Teal'c to die and abandon Jack, Sam, and Daniel to the surface outside the dome. So she brings all four of them into her office and tells them that their suspicions about false memories are true. Brenna explains who they really are. 
but before she can help them to escape the facility, Calder arrives with two armed guards. He shoots Brenna in the shoulder for his disloyalty and turns his weapon on SG-1. But Tilk awakens suddenly and overpowers the guards. O'Neill grabs Calder's weapon. Tilk explains that he undid his bandages in the night. In so doing, he remembered who he was and healed himself by going into a deep state of Kel-Noreen. Woohoo! <laughs> before they escape... O'Neill drags Calder in front of the workers and tells them the truth, that they are slaves to the city above. To prove it, Jack shoots out a skylight overhead, and instead of ice and snow burying the workers, they feel the warm rays of the sun. Brenna tells SG-1 that their memories will return in time, especially once they are home. SG-1 offers to take her with them, as well as all the workers who wish to join them. Jack knows a great tropical world ready for all these folks. Calder and his people will just have to work for themselves for a change. The end. The end. Okay, Brent. Yeah? What'd you think? Mm. <clears throat> All right. Um, about halfway through the episode or so, I was finding myself feeling pretty positive about this episode. And uh, as the episode wore on, I was realizing that the thing that I was enjoying an awful lot was watching the actors play the characters. I was really enjoying how the how the story kind of set up a little bit of an opportunity for the actors to do basically little character sketches. Uh, you know, it's our heroes and they think that they are other people, but aspects about themselves that we have seen over the past uh, three and a half seasons are starting to come out in ways that are important to the appreciation of the episode. And if I say that differently, like imagine that this episode was like season or like season one, episode two, like half of this stuff wouldn't even make any sense. It'd be like, why wouldn't Carter call him sir? Or why would, you know, why would everybody pause and go, uh, you know, he just said for crying out loud, you know, why would he, um, why would it be uh, enjoyably humorous for him to reference the Simpsons? Like, uh, you know, like it, 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 there's a lot about it that work that, that works because we have watched so many episodes of these characters. And, um, you know, side note, I think that, if a person was only watching the series hit and miss as it was airing, that this episode would probably be kind of a flat one um, because they wouldn't have that kind of appreciation hmm. that, mm -hmm. you know, that these, that these characters are kind of hearkening there, you know, there's, there's a thousand little inside jokes that are happening here. Um, and I was also kind of jamming on the, you know, I, I've seen, I don't know how many, you know, class, struggle television shows have I seen, but you know, there's, here's, here's another one and you know, all right. And so the, the workers are being subjugated and being misled as to what the reality is and they're not being told the truth and they are being enslaved. Um, and there is a whole tier of society that is, that is benefiting from their work and not, uh, not reciprocating. And the episode on that question in my mind really did nothing but tread water and then sank a little at the end. Like it tread water and then it didn't really do an awful lot to to really dig into that question. Not not much. You had the foreman who was having her little, you know, moment of revelation and you had the administrator who was representing the entire society and I have to assume that everybody on the surface is either like, you know, like the, the, 
the way that the story was being told is that I must assume that everybody's like the administrator. And, uh, you know, at the tail end, how do you wrap up a class struggle in 10 seconds? Yeah, make some quip about putting them on a beach where they can work for themselves. And then you just call it a day, completely ignoring the aspects of societal disruption when you have power or not power and how what you're actually doing in that case is encouraging them to once again gain power and enforce their will once again, as opposed to work cooperatively, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so when uh, when I saw that it was Heather Ash who wrote it, uh, I lit up a little bit because I was thinking about Learning Curve and mm-hmm. um, how that was an episode which brought about a really hard question and let us wrestle with it for a while. And it kind of gave up in trying to answer it. But what can you do? It's a 40 minute television show. Uh, and I feel that there are similar aspects in this one. It brought up a kind of a tough question. And didn't really do anything to answer it and kind of gave up. But what do you do? It's a 40-minute television show. Um, but on this one, um, I don't know. I just am not it's, – it's not, it's not hooking with me the same way that Learning Curve did. Uh, partly because I also know myself. If we really started going down the rabbit hole of class struggle, you it would be an hour of me yelling into the microphone. Like, nobody wants that. No. Um, and so, like, it's just kind of a meh story. The parts that I enjoyed the most were the parts that the actors were bringing to their characters. Like, that was it. Um, and so, as a result, I'm just kind of like, I'm, I'm kind of just real middling on this one. Uh, you know, maybe if we crack open that can of worms in there, I might find a little bit more inspiration. But on the other hand, like, you know, if, if all we're doing is just, uh, you know, uh, having a polite conversation after watching a television show, it's like, mm, meh. Okay. So what's for dinner, right? So I don't know. What do you think? You know, you actually encapsulate a lot of my feelings on this episode. I find it meh. Yeah. I find it, 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 it it's right there. Uh, the idea of the class struggle um, is fascinating uh, mm-hmm. to talk about that. Uh, you're right. It introduces a really interesting uh, question that is worthy of talking about and wrestling with. Uh, you see some of that in Brenna as she mm-hmm. uh, kind of straddles both of those worlds and tries to figure out uh, what is the right thing to do. Um, you know, you see the, the dark and ominous qualities of Calder and uh, this mm-hmm. insidious quality of, of uh, you know, the upper class... Uh, potential manip- manipulation of of uh, lower class folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't believe that that's a necessity of the upper class, but I do think that that is a trap that they tend to fall into on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I find those questions and that uh, examination valuable. But I also find this episode kind of a snooze fest. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, it kind of sets it up, and then it just kind of slowly moves through the episode. I really like the character analysis. I like the character development. Um, that conversation between O'Neill and Carter when they're just sitting next to each other and she lays her head mm-hmm. on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That is uh, gorgeous dialogue. It's wonderful dialogue. It's it's beautiful acting it's well blocked and it's set mm-hmm. up and it's it's so simple and yet there it is and it's shot well and it just it draws you into this this relationship between them two those two that that uh goes beyond uh friendship 
into mm-hmm. something more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it, it it it's deeper than just the the you know macking on each other type of uh, love interest. Yes, there's something there that is that is wonderful about that moment. Uh, you know that that like there there's some reality there and not some some uh, you know just uh, over the top hype. Um, blanking on the right word for that. Um, but so there and those are great moments and and some of the conversations that that uh, uh, Jackson has with uh, Kagan. Uh, mm-hmm. Kagan is an interesting character as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got some demons in her, um, uh, which is which is fascinating. And we never really quite learn all that is there, all that's there. Um, mm-hmm. Does she have a stamp too? Uh, do all of these people have a stamp? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, does this mm-hmm. mean that they're all false personalities? Uh, right. Or does this, you know, many of them were born here? Um, so what's going on with them? What happens with them when they go to this tropical island? Uh, how are they going to navigate that? What kind <laughs> Stick of Stick a pin in that one. To, we'll we'll come know, back to that in a second, but carry on. Okay, so, you know, all of these things, they're, they're interesting, but... But at the same time, the episode itself just kind of chugs along. Um, it's kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I like the, 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 the stuff with Hammond. It's small. It's not huge. But the way he interacts with both Terrell, uh, uh, you know, Terrell Rothery, uh, Dr. Frazier, the way he interacts with uh, Major Griff um, in those different scenes mm-hmm. uh, works really well. It's wonderfully done. You could see the concern and the the question like what do I do now? How do I get my people back? What's the next step? Uh, mm-hmm. Those are great things. Uh, so you know, by all rights, if I take all of these different elements that work nicely in this episode and you put them together, you'd think it's shot well too. You know, um, mm-hmm. the set's wonderful. You'd think if you add all of this together, you'd have a good episode, and it doesn't do it for me. Mm-mm. It doesn't do it for me. I think that part of the reason why it kind of falls on its face is that it, uh, is how it ended. Um, Say more. If if it had ended with, uh, even if it had ended with as unsatisfying an ending as uh, a revelation to uh, all of the workers that that their understanding of the world was being intentionally um, defined or thwarted. Uh, and that was just the, you know, that was the parting shot and let our imaginations run wild as to how, as to what would happen next. Uh, I think it would have been better Hmm. that, um, (laughs) uh, that it ended in a moment. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you know, I get it. Carter was all like, Hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take you off of this ball of ice and we're going to put you on a beautiful, beautiful planet. Wonderful place. Plenty of resources you'll be able to do just enjoy and frolic and not subjugate people anymore. And um it was it was forced relocation. And I get that that is some uh, you know, that's that's kind of weighty that's a weighty criticism to lob at a show. It's a and it's certainly a weighty criticism to throw at something that's only trying to tell me a story in 40 minutes. Like um gets into me saying, you know, like if we really want to get into it, I'm going to be yelling for an hour, which I don't particularly want to do. Um, but that it ended with this, 
it ended in a really simplistic way. And in a way it was almost insulting. Uh, that's not how people work. That's not how that dynamic would go. Um, and it also was pretty unclear. It was, was Carter to, or yeah, was O'Neill talking about bringing, uh, just the top side people over to the, to the, to the, to the planet, to the, to the nice planet. Or was he talking? Cause I mean, it, it, at least in my hearing of it, it wasn't particularly clear. Your explanation my, my of it. My understanding is that, uh, O'Neill was saying, uh, I'll take all of these workers. Yeah. Um, but all you people who live on the surface in the dome, you're all on your own. Oh. He was leaving Calder and all of those people on the planet. He was going to take yeah. all the workers I mean, it's underneath. Still, it's okay. That's better. Um, it's it's still so in the same way that with uh, learning curve, how I was taking a pretty strong opinion that was not shared by many, which is um, culture domination is a f- tricky thing. Like. You 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 think you're in the right, but you're really in the power is really how that works. And the minute that you're no longer in the power, you better hope that the person who has the power has more um, acceptance of 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 other cultures than you did in that moment. Um, and that's 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 a dangerous dance. And so I think I see us, you know, another situation of it here. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, our heroes who we identify with are the ones who are calling the shot. And our heroes are saying, all right, you slaveholders, guess what you get to do now? You get to have a completely flipped up difference in your society entirely. Good luck with that. And we cheer. And um, that's just us exerting our dominance. And, you know, what if what if it was us on the losing side of that coin? Right. Like. Like, if somebody were to walk up and say, guess what you get to do now? You get to eat world peas for the rest of your life. Like, I'd be like, no, thank you. I want a steak. Um, but it, it it's not about right and wrong in that moment. It's about power. And so I didn't like how they took uh, a right-wrong argument and just kind of decided to slap a bow on it through power. And be like, all right, we're just gonna make you do the right thing. All right, peace. We're out. Like that didn't that didn't sit well with me. But yeah. again, it's a forty minute television show, Zach. Like, what did I expect? A well reasoned treatise on the philosophy of cooperation? Like, I mean, I don't know. So here's where we get to some of the uh, the 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 challenges in in Stargate and science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, Stargate is science fiction, which means, uh, because this is what science fiction does. Science fiction always does this, no matter how frivolous or silly it is. It always asks the question, what if? It Mm -hmm. always asks the question, uh, how about this? Uh, and almost always in a way that, that says the way things are now are ways that maybe we could do things differently or better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even in the most dystopian stuff, you get those types of questions that science fiction asks and wrestles with. Uh, Stargate is no different than that. Stargate is also a show that's trying to be uh, fun. Yes. It's trying to be a show that's just a little bit light, that kind of take you away from all of the struggles that you're dealing with and yep. put you in this new world yep. and let you just dance around in this other place here. And... And here we see a spot where those two competing influences of this particular show smash into each other. Mm-hmm, and what we mm-hmm. end up getting is 
uh, a, a distasteful end to the show, I think. Um, yeah. Because you mentioned earlier that I think the show would have probably sat better with that philosophical quality to us if if it had just kind of stopped with whoa we're living in a completely different world than we didn't that we didn't know before and now right. we've got to deal with this yeah and then maybe you have the main character say okay we'll be back later or some of the folks from earth will be back later to help you navigate these challenges sure um that would have been a satisfying ending, probably, if it's done right, uh, to that philosophical question. But that flies in direct conflict to the idea of this trying to be just a little bit of uh, a relief and a release from the world and just kind of enter into a fun romp. Mm -hmm. um, and with the fun romp quality of this show, you need it to end with... Uh, those who were oppressed getting it, you know, sticking it to the man and 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 getting their own place and the man getting screwed over and having to do the work of the grunts. Uh, and that's what you get here. But that also doesn't sit well with the realities of how human beings operate. Right. And so you have these two things that are in conflict and they're smashing heads. And what you end up getting is this end that just sits poorly in my Yeah, it just flops. Yeah. yeah. Because because let me tell you, so, you know, like when you explained your interpretation of it, which is probably correct, you know, I, I, I've seen it once and it was, you know, zippity-doo. I mean, like I said, this was 10 seconds of resolution that happened there. Um, uh, you know, it's probably likely that what, what, what Jack meant was, all right, everybody who has been down on this lower level, guess what? We're going to be about. We're about to. We're about to show you paradise, and it's going to be awesome. And and you know what? You've got the skills to make it work. It's going to be great. And all you hoity-toity people, guess what? You get to figure out how to do. How to figure out how to make your little dome work. Except that that's not how people, especially power dynamics, work. Because what would actually happen? The worker class would end up leaving, and they'd have their own little paradise, and it'd be great. No, and it wouldn't. Up, they would well, fail. No, it wouldn't fail. But well, top it side, it, it would. It would have its own problems. It would be uh, different. You're right. But topside, it wouldn't be that everybody up there would suddenly realize, oh, I guess I should have been nicer. No. What would happen is that those with power would put imprints on those with a little less power and shove them in the mines. That's what would happen. They wouldn't change. They would do exactly the same. They didn't save anybody. They saved a small group of people. To save everybody, you got to do culture change. But, Zach, what did I tell you? I was going to start yelling into the mic. Um <laughs> And that's part of the reason why I'm a little bit like, all right, fine. You know what? So it's either, I mean, maybe that's is where I'm at. Okay. So either I just let this one go as like a, mm, all right, you know, yeah, you had to do what you had to do because it's network, it's, it's cable television. It's 40 minutes. It's a science fiction show. And you wanted to do a riff on Metropolis. There you go. And, uh, so you did your, so you did your riff. Uh, Metropolis, I think runs like an hour 20 or something. And you had to try and tell it in 40 minutes. Um, and you also kind of wanted to do these other things as well, like do some, some, some character, some, some examinations on the character by having everybody have their memories wiped or something, which was cool. It's yeah. the part I liked. And then when you actually got into the questions of class struggle, you had to bounce. You had to like, be like, uh, I don't know. Um, how about we have all the workers, uh, go live in a tropical paradise and, uh, let all the rich people, uh, stay inside their little ice dome. That sounds like a good resolution. Do you, do you like it? Do you, do you good? We're good. We're good. Okay. Let's do it. 
Like, no, no. Well, that's... you know, you're sticking it to the man, or you think you're yeah. sticking it to the man. And you I, think you're and sticking is, it to the man. Where, where where the problem lies. You're right. You're right. That that Calder, uh, all he would have done is taken those who are on the lower end of this utopian paradise and yep. stamp, 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 stamp. You all work down there. Yep. Uh, presumably, the stamp can give you at least some semblance of of uh, knowledge of how the system operates. Um, okay. And then they go about their day. Um, or if that doesn't happen, then they all sit there and you, you have that society collapse. Um, because right. those people don't know how to operate in that new world Which system. brings me back to something I brought up earlier, where the only person I saw topside was Administrator Calder. Like, yep. I'm th- th- what am I left? What am I left with, Zach? I, as a viewer, the only thing I can do in this moment is assume that everybody on topside is like Administrator Calder, which feels a little disingenuous. Like that doesn't feel real. I doubt that everybody topside is exactly like Administrator Calder, or they are. But you know, I have no frame of reference, so I'm only so I'm forced to imagine that they all are. And then and then that situation feels. It just feels trite. That's exactly what it is. It's like, it feels like a 10-year-old wrote a resolution to this story. I know. Let's have the good, let's have the good guys go and have cake and ice cream and the bad guys get to sit and pout and realize they were bad. That's not not real. And I get it. I'm quibbling about reality about a show with a shimmering water gate that lets me go travel across the galaxy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if you're willing to, and maybe this is it, maybe, maybe this is really it. I was already kind of on the mess side and I, and I was recognizing that I could either go full on disappointment or just accept the good parts for what they were and let the bad parts go and call this thing a middling thing. And then I realized that Heather Ash wrote it and it's like, dude, we've had, you've asked some really, really good questions and this is a good question to ask, but my goodness, like what happened? Did you, was the original actually? I kind of wonder. Was the original script a bit more salty? Was the original script a bit more rebellious? Was it saying things like you can't just do this? It doesn't. It doesn't work like this. And it got rewritten, rewritten, rewritten to the point where that message got lost. And now we end up with a pretty, pretty tame, boring dystopia. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um- I, you are entirely possible. It's entirely possible that that the original scripts or some of the earlier scripts had more of the teeth that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. But based on what they were saying, that a lot of what was stripped out of this script was the romantic relationship more explicit between Carter and O'Neill. My suspicion is that... Uh, the original script, when it comes to talking about the realities of the class struggles, um, still were surface level. Yeah, that that's, could be. that's that would be that's my guess, and, and I, that's purely a guess based I, on the information that I have. I would like to officially lodge a mild protest. Heather Ash asked a hum dinger of a question in Learning Curve. And I kind of, I hear you, and certainly folks are saying, you know, originally we had, like, you know, uh, Sam and Jack really kind of developing the romantic relationship, and then we had to dial it back, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I, I, 
I bet you, I bet you Heather wrote something that was a bit, uh, that was a bit more weighty. I bet you, I bet you it got sanitized. I bet you it got whitewashed, but doesn't really matter. Like this is the show we've got. Um, and this is the situation. And, and again, kind of bringing it back to the Sam Jack thing. The parts that I liked were exactly that. The parts mm-hmm. of this episode that I really enjoyed were each of the characters highlighting or bringing about kind of quirks of their character, which have developed over many, 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 many episodes. I the I really liked the inside reference stuff. I really did. Like I appreciating how when uh when Carter immediately responds with Sir, and everyone's like, What what? And, you know, it's like, yeah, because I've heard her say that a hundred times when she first said it, I was, just, I didn't even think. And then they, and then they looked at her and I'm like, right, 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 yeah. right. That, that would be weird. You know, Jack saying for crying out loud, that one was a little less weird, but you know what I mean? Like it was like, you know, the, the bald man wearing short sleeves that was important to him. I think his name is Homer. Like there's, there hasn't been like direct reference to the simpsons there's been a few times that o'neill has said dope but you know like you know it had a lot it had a little bit more to do with pop culture but still it was a it was a it was it, it practically functioned as an easter egg even though it wasn't right um you know it was it those were the fun parts i liked it um and that was why i was feeling kind of okay and pretty positive in the middle of the episode yeah the the good stuff in this episode that character development i mean it's like you, you get something this episode tells me that these characters, Teal'c, Jackson, Carter, O'Neill, all of them, it doesn't matter what you stamp them with, they're going to be who they are. Yes. Um, they are who they are, which actually has its own philosophical question and rabbit hole we could dig into uh, about what makes you you. Uh, but I don't think this episode even begins to talk about that, so mm-hmm. I don't know if we should either. either. However, that said... Um, that was really neat. So you saw uh, Jonah being Jonah, different than O'Neill, but also O'Neill was yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah. It was yep. the core. Whatever yep. the core of O'Neill is, it was the core of Jonah. They were the exact same. And the same with uh, Thera and Carlin and mm-hmm. Tor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, th- those characters are, you know, the the root of what those characters are, who they are, uh, maintained even through the loss of memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was cool. That mm-hmm. was fun. Um, it also wasn't ultimately the primary element of this story. Uh, it, it was the primary in- element of this story that I enjoyed, but the yeah, primary yeah, yeah, element yeah. of this story was, was they're trapped level. on a planet that yeah. has major class warfare that has major issues of slavery yeah you know what i suspect i suspect that the thought going through people's head as they were writing and producing this episode was not class differential so much as slavery and so, so now their you have a story solution. at the end mm-hmm, where the mm-hmm. slaves are freed Emancipated. and removed yeah. from the oppressors and the end and that's the end um yeah that I can see that too. Solve the problem? Yeah, 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 exactly. It might help it. I don't know. I'd have to walk through that again. Um I I hear you and I think you're probably onto something. And I'm just as I'm just such a jerk, Zach. I'm such a jerk. Um where even I'm coming up with that going, yeah, and you know, I mean, 
back in 1870, we there was an awful lot of people that had it in their heads that they were going to completely solve the problem, Zach. Save everybody and completely solve the problem. All we're going to do is remove these people from this particular area where they are being hated on right now. We're going to ship them over there. Over there where they can be their own people. Isn't that One great? One of the reasons why Haiti exists. It's, 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 so it's, it's, it's just another... Eh. All right, fine. Here we go. It's just another example of a whole bunch of people who have power think that because they have power, they have the right ideas. And that's not how it works. When you have power, your bad idea can turn into the thing that happens. It's not happening because it's a good idea. It's happening because you have power. And so it gets really easy to confuse those two because every time you have an idea and you act on it, seems to work. Well, the reason why is because there's nothing else. There's no other idea out there with power to go against it. It's not. Anyway, so, um, yeah. Now, if I if 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 I'm looking at this episode through the lens of, um, you know, an emancipation story where you have an entire class of people who are slaves. And what do you do for a class of people who are slaves? What is the what is the least level of good you can do for a group of people who are slaves is make them not slaves anymore. That is the least level of good. And the episode achieves it, right? They they free they free this slave labor and they bring them off into a paradise world. And I, I, Brent is happy to just say, "All right, that's that's as deep as we want to go with the thing." And at least it's pointing in the right direction. Fine, if that's as deep as I want to go with the thing, that's it. But do not expect me to be happy with this. Like it's fine. I'm I'm not hating it, but. By no means am I sitting here going, that was a really clever idea, or that was a really interesting discussion, or that was a great way to talk about a really complex problem that gets people to kind of brew on it and think about it and grow on it. Nope. Nope. Can, can, can you tell Can you tell that uh, I, I've only got like a couple of swallows left of this, uh, of this beer, so... Uh, uh, I, I have finished the, the triple buzz mead. Yeah, well, feeling good. Yep. Okay. So... <laughs> Brent, um, yes, we could easily both of oh, us oh yeah fall into the rabbit hole that is oh, this boy. episode, or at least the, ep- <laughs> the 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 thoughts that we were having, and we could really really oh. go deep. Oh. Um, this is also not the space for that. No, it is not. Um, <laughs> I I will offer those of you who are listening to this, if you have some thoughts and some comments on what we have shared here if you want to dig deeper into some of these conversations by all means uh get a hold of us on the various social media platforms or via email and we can continue this conversation yes um but for right now brent Mm -hmm. given where we have left things with this episode beneath Mm -hmm. the surface just beneath the surface. I want you to to get your shovel out and dig a little bit and <clears throat> and and reveal your mm-hmm. chevrons for this episode. All right. So I I kind of had it in my head where I was going to go with this before we even started recording and 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 I and I'm going to totally I I'm I'm absolutely sticking with it. I think that that my original thinking was kind of right on the money with this one. Um I'm turning into a fan, Zach. I'm turning into a fan. And Yay! and and Stargate SG1 is turning into a very well-run show. And everything you were talking about that was good about the episode was really good. Like the 
around the characters, it was supreme. The 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 way it was shot and paced, it was good, man. It was good. Um, and everything that I enjoyed about the episode had everything to do with me being a fan, and I'm willing to accept that, right? My little rule for why I give ratings the way I give them is because well, how am I feeling about it? I'm not going to try to be supremely objective. I'm going to tell you how I feel about it. And I, and I loved that. The stuff where it was trying to ask a tough question, I think it didn't do a good job. I was about to say fell on its face, but you know what? I'll be generous. I don't think it did a good job. And so as a result, I'm going to give it a slightly better than half rating. I'm going to give it four out of seven chevrons. But that four has everything to do with me turning into a fan and loving watching the actors play with their characters. That was great. I really enjoyed that part. Four out of seven. Four out of seven. Wow. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. Um, that is that high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that high. I, yeah, I appreciate um, that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I appreciate that, that, that you know. Um, I have never been a fan of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this series. I enjoy the character development and all of this stuff. Um, but every time I have watched this episode, I'm like, what's the next one? Oh. Ah, uh, yeah. It's this one. Okay. Let's watch it. Okay, moving on. What's the next one? Okay. Gotcha. Let's move on. Um, and as we talk about this, this really just kind of solidifies things. Um, I, I was wrestling as to what I was going to give this episode. Um I love the character development, all that stuff. It doesn't help it for me. Sure. Uh, this episode is only a 2.5. Whoa, yeah, okay. Uh, all right. uh, you know, I was thinking, does the, the, the lack of sufficient, satisfying resolution of the philosophy in this episode really drops it um, uh, probably down to a 2. Um, and I'm like, how much do I love the uh the the acting and all that stuff mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. and i was tempted to go three but i felt if i went three that would be letting the other stuff off the hook too much sure so i go 2.5 absolutely yeah i i i think because this is my first watch through i think that my ratings are going to be artificially high because i am enjoying the experience overall sure and so yeah, if I had watched this episode a few times and then rated it for the first time, like you are doing right now, I, I um, that phrase you just said, you know, especially in relation to where it is within the season, you know, you were implied that uh, that the next one might be really, I might, I might enjoy the next one, um, but I can see how that could diminish my ratings of this one. But since I didn't have that, for me, it's a four. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so we do have some. Uh, predictions that yes! came in on Facebook. And, I always forget we have predictions. We've been doing it for like 70 weeks and I always forget, but it doesn't matter. All right. That's right. I love this. That's right. Okay. So uh, we have predictions from David. We'll start with David. Hi, David. Meh, he says. Meh. Nothing new, full of tropey tropes. It's like we've seen this before, but not quite. Advances the shipping of O'Neill and Carter, yep. I guess. The Sorta. only lasting yeah. development is that Tilk lost the caterpillar on his chin. Oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah, that is a lasting development. Yeah, I stand by my four. Good TV, but not great <laughs> Stargate. 
Brent three chevrons because it's Stargate and he's he really likes Stargate now and it's better than most Catherine Powers episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, that was that was suspiciously close to the mark. <laughs> uh, yep. uh, Zach also three chevrons because it's better than the bad episodes, but it's not as good as the really good episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's it's better than bad. It's good. You're not wrong, David. Not wrong. <laughs> not wrong. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good guesses. Right. I like it. Yeah. All right. And then we have uh, Caleb. Hey, Caleb. Caleb says, let me pull down for Beneath the Surface. He says, okay, Beneath the Surface was not my favorite. I liked the soundtrack, but I would have liked mm. to see more of the city and the memory stamp mm-hmm. process. The yes. episode seemed to drag on and was predictable. I see where the story yes. was going, but I think they yes. could have done a better job. Yes. My predictions are Zach 3 and Brent 3. Pretty darn close. You know what? So both David and Caleb at this point in time are, you guys are both nailing our basic processes and you just gave it a little bit more of a bump for the the, the character development and I dropped it because I just really don't much like this episode. It's just salty. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling salty. There you go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Let's see here. Ooh, we've got lots of, lots of stuff here. All right. On Facebook, we've got Julie. (laughs) Hi, Julie. I will guess they are not feeling very generous toward this episode, she says. And they will both give the episode a three out of seven seven chevrons. (laughs) But maybe that is being generous. Uh, it's being generous on Zach's part and not quite generous on my part, but because I'm just, I'm just, I'm just batting my eyelashes at Stargate right now. Just oh, giving it, just giving it eyes. Yeah. Just wiggling so, my eyebrows. So, being like, hey, so you are hey, tilting your head and laying yeah. it on the shoulder of Stargate. Uh, I'm doing my version of that. Yes. <laughs> How you doing? Sorry. So tell me, tell me, tell me what you're thinking. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> JD. Uh, JD. JD says, I find this kind of story boring. Star Trek Voyager did a similar episode. It doesn't mm-hmm. move anything forward. It's not a bad episode per se. It's just just doesn't bring anything new or extra to the table. Mm-hmm. Two and two and a half. Does he say who gives what? Uh, I'm guessing. No, he doesn't specify. I'm guessing that he said two and a half for me and two for you because generally speaking, you don't give half ratings. Ah, that's true. I so, guess you can imply that. That's fun. So he got yours uh, right on the money. Well done. There you go. Uh, Jacqueline says. Hi, Jacqueline. I've watched this episode so many times, but I can never quite tell whether I like it or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like some scenes and dialogue and how the characters' attributes still manage to sneak through the mind stamp. Mm-hmm. i.e. Daniel being inquisitive and wanting to know more, another hint at the feelings Sam and Jack have towards each other, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, that nails exactly what I was mentioning earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a whole, the episode leaves me with more questions than it gives adequate answers. It also doesn't move the show forward. So right. I'm going to guess that neither Brent nor Zach will have be a big fan of Beneath the Surface. Brent will give it three and Zach a three and a half. Pretty close. Pretty close. Pretty close. I really like how so many people are basically saying what we said. Yeah. Yeah. This is a lot of fun. Yep. And we have one more prediction here. Oh, nice. Nick. Hi, Nick. I like this one, he says, but it's full of tropes. 
dystopian world where a plucky hero exposes a lie, plucky mm-hmm. heroes mm-hmm. lose their memory, a population mm-hmm. is unknowingly enslaved by a more mm-hmm. powerful entity, mm-hmm. alternate plot line where you get fan favorite characters together romantically, mm-hmm. totalitarian <laughs> state is beaten by American led allies. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Just walk on in with a just walk on in with a gun and a pack of bubble gum and you got everything solved, man. Yep. Everything is solved. Oh. He says, "Nice. I would be surprised if Brent gave it any more than a 3." Yeah. Zach might feel generous and give it a 3.5. Well. Uh yeah. Nope, that's sound logic. My 4, my better than better than middling. It, it's because I was really getting, I was really enjoying watching the actors play the characters. Yeah. Like that part drove a lot for me. Yeah. So he does have a side sound note logic. Uh huh. He says, when I first watched this episode, I expected Kagan to be a plant spying yes. for Brenna yes. or Calder. Yes. Turns out she was just one of the many prisoners. I think it would I would have liked it better if she were a spy. You know, I mean, and 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 thanks for bringing that up, JD. Because I think that they no, that was that was Nick. That was Nick. Nick, thanks for bringing that up, Nick. Um, th- because I think that they were. Um, it certainly was being written a little like they were like that was that was it. I mean, even at the last scene, did you notice how it was shot? She was the only one in spotlight. Like, well, that's because she was the only main character from all of those groups. Everybody else fine. was a background grunt. But we sweaty, want, bulky but, man and but they wanted me to look at her. They wanted me to look at her. And yep. up until that point, she was constantly being subversive to the notion of what's really going on. To, to, to Nick's point about being a plant. Like, something yeah. tells me that she was originally written to be a plant. And then they just, kind of watch, they just kind of washed it over at the, at the end there, being like, nah, nah, never mind, too much. Bang, shoot out the skylight. Oh, wow, look, sunlight. Yeah. So... I probably should have said this earlier, but one of my real big beefs with this episode, one of the things that just bugs the snot out of me, <laughs> is at the end. Tell me like, how you really feel, Zach. <laughs> let me let me prove it to you. And I'm gonna blow out the skylight. And she's like, no. Yeah. And yeah. then he shoots, and like everybody's happy. And I'm like, wait a yeah. second. You just shot a giant glass window yes. above yes. their heads. Yes. And they are now being pummeled with glass yes. shards and none of them are going yeah they're all going ooh looking yep. up i'm like wait a second who is <laughs> which I also, one of you is getting pegged by glass in the face i also none liked how when when the skylight was shot out it revealed that its location within the world above was like basically on a city street more or less. Yeah. <laughs> so they were like, it's like, kapow. So this whole thing shatters with one gunshot, thing number one. Thing number two, it's in a location in the middle of the metropolis. So therefore, thing number three, it's like, what what, what was what was its equivalent on the top? Was it just a was it just a window that nobody cared about? Like, it was just a weird <laughs> it was just weird. And, and again, yeah. I mean, bring yeah. it back. Like, it's television. What are they going to do? Like, you, you gotta quickly imply that they that the people down below look up and realize the truth. So you gotta show like the cityscape and sunlight, etc. Um, right. But there's implications with that fast decision that are like, wait, wait, what? Like, it, it, really? It's the type of thing that if I had a satisfying feeling about the episode as a whole, ah, I would yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. that and move on. 
Yes, But agreed. the fact that I don't have that satisfying feeling about the show, I look at that and it just grates at me. Yep. Got it. Agreed. Yep. Um, let's see here. So those are our predictions. Right on. All right, Brent. Yes. Next week's episode of yes. SG-1 is entitled Point of No Return. Point of No Return. And I ask you, dear friend of mine, what is Point of No Return about? Uh, so my brain cannot help but have the Kansas song, Point of No Return, like just blaring in my head right now. Maybe I'll pull it up. I'll, I'll, I'll put it. I'll put it in the background music. Okay, here we go. Okay, okay. So I'm, I'm imagining the background. Okay, great. This is be fun. Next time on Stargate SG One, how long? Do 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 do. How long? How long? How long to the point of no return? Because it's also a pun, because the title is Point uh, of uh, point of No Return, K-N-O-W. So it's like, impl- right, No Return, No, uh, no Things, You Know uh, Things. Okay, yeah. Okay, the, Star- the Stargate, the SG-1 team, travel through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. They find themselves in a band, in a band in the 1960s and 70s. And one of them has a violin and big hair. They decide that they're just going to run with it. They're just going to run with this terrible idea. And they decide to just bust out in song. How long? How long? Join us next time where Brent can finally figure out how to do a promo. Where Stargate SG-1 goes to the point of no return. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I will pull up Kansas because it's a good song. And, uh, yeah, but, um... Don't, uh, let's not do brunch again. <laughs> if, you, if you want me to be creative on the fly, we shouldn't do brunch. <laughs> Fair enough. So y- you have Kansas running through your head when you hear this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, me, I have Phantom of the Opera running through my head. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Uh, every that's time I hear one. past the point of, well, point of no return, past yeah. the point of no return. Sorry. Yeah. I Although, can't do anything you know, apparently, more than that. So- so so okay. Before we get too long, all right, all right, friends, all right, friends. Here we go. Here, this is this is what's called a tangent. You ready? Here we go. Zach, I know you are a big fan of musical theater. Big fan. Sure. Big fan. What's your opinion on on Andrew Lloyd Wright? Andrew Lloyd Webber. Shoot. Yes, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, what is my opinion on Andrew Lloyd Webber? Do you like? Do, hey hey. So um, so so hey friends. So he do you feel like done... I threw him a grenade? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Carry so, on. Carry on. So he he's he's done uh, some really good things. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Phantom of the Opera was very very popular, very influential. Uh, it spoke well to the uh, the the time of the the mid eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, it you know it spoke well to that. Uh, I've seen it twice on stage: once on Broadway, mm-hmm. once uh, in uh, the traveling circus. Circus mm-hmm. traveling show. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Bart- Bartum and Bailey presents the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Yes. <laughs> um, 
you know, I mean, he of course did Cats, which is a yep. lot. Um, it's maybe, a lot. <laughs> if it weren't, if it weren't for Andrew Lloyd Webber, we wouldn't have that train wreck of a movie, Cats, that came out last year. Uh, to be fair, I haven't true. seen the movie, so I, I say that only knowing what everybody else has said. Um, some of my favorite shows, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar is a tremendous show. The only problem mm-hmm. I have with Jesus Christ Superstar is a theological one that is fixed on stage, but not fixed in the the uh, the movie that came out in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's, but that's a really good music and good show. Uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat is arguably one of his best works. It's certainly mm-hmm. one of his most creative works. Uh, it's also his very, very first thing he ever did. Um, mm. So uh, that's fun. Uh, he's also wrote some real head scratchers. Things mm-hmm. like uh, uh, Stargate, or Stargate, Starlight Express. Um, uh, Julie has seen that one. Um Oh, he's written some other stuff that that now I'm blanking on that that is just really not so So, good. So the reason I thought I was lobbing a grenade your way is because everybody that I know who likes musical theater think that Andrew Lloyd Webber is like super not sophisticated as in like just 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 trash for the plebes. And so I thought I was I I thought I was lobbing a, 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 a juicy one at you. But turns out you've got some well thought out arguments as to why popular Um, is not necessarily bad. Yeah, you know, overall, his his music is uh, perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it speaks to people, um, but I also don't think that he has written much that really uh, speaks to something beyond the people. Mm. Um, mm. You know, so you know, so those you're right. There are plenty of folks out there who look at Andrew Lloyd Webber and think that he's um, uh, just kind of blah, whatever. Uh, yeah. And there's some legitimacy in those arguments. Uh, he doesn't have things that really make you wrestle, uh, like you know some of the things that we talk about with this show here, sure, um, and, and such. Uh, it's it's mostly just candy. Um, and uh, recently he did uh, a sequel to Phantom of the Opera. Um, right, that's right. I'm, I saw it. I saw it when I was in in Tennessee a couple years ago. Uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, uh, music of the Night, wasn't it? Wasn't it Music no, of the Night? No, 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 no. It wasn't Music of the Night. It was... Something like that. Uh, anyway, whatever it is, uh, I found that to be very derivative. Uh, well, yeah. It, it's a sequel. It, it was... Um, it was boring. I mean, it was a great show when I was watching it with some of the young folks at, at uh, the, the church I work at. So mm-hmm. seeing them being transfixed, because this is the first time they'd seen musical theater on stage for most of them, and they were just like, mm. wow. And one of the guys yeah. in that was was originally like, ah, oh, I don't want to be here. I'm too cool for this. And he right. really dug it and really got into it and, and, and fell into things. And he's like asking questions. Okay, wait, so what happened here? What happened here? He's working <laughs> through the storyline trying to figure it out during the halftime, mm-hmm. during the intermission. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and uh, you know he's a football player, so saying halftime is perfectly fine. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and all of this stuff w- was really really cool, and I really enjoyed that. But the show itself, I was just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, so there there there's some legitimacy in those who who really uh, rail on Andrew Lloyd Webber. Sure, uh, sure. But there are also some things that he has done that yeah. are really quite good and, and valuable <laughs> and worthwhile. Thanks for thanks for going on that tangent with me. Okay, 
So appreciate um, that. Brent. Yes. The next episode is Point of No Return. Yes. And our good friend David has actually produced a promo for this episode. Thank you, David. And I thought maybe it would be worthwhile for us to watch that promo. You think? You think? You think it might be? It might be worth our time. <laughs> yes, I would love to watch the promo for Point of okay. No Return. All right, here we go. I'm hitting play now. Next time on Stargate SG One. I know that sound. That's that music. Martin, Colonel O'Neill. Yeah. Sorry, I'm late. He's a psychiatric patient and a conspiracy theory nut. Oh dear. <laughs> oh dear. The problem is, he knows about the Stargate. Uh oh. Uh oh. Secret government program involving instantaneous travel to other solar systems by means of a device known as a Stargate. <laughs> oh, like Martin Lloyd. He also thinks he's from outer space. Uh oh. Other aliens are out to get him. I'm not just interested in outer space. I'm from <laughs> But remember, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not a <laughs> Whoa! It's all next time on Stargate SG1. Holy moly. Okay. All right, I am for that. It has nothing to do with Kansas. I, I don't know. It might have something to do with Kansas. Probably not. I don't know where it's set. I can't I'm remember. the band. Oh, I thought you were talking about the state. <laughs> <laughs> no, I knew what you were talking about. I just oh, okay. I had to keep going with the joke. <sighs> maybe I need. Maybe I do need another beer. Okay, uh, we're good. Ah, okay, so, uh, looking forward uh, to that. Thank you, David, for that. Yes, thank uh, you. I appreciate that. Um, David also uh, produced a uh, promo. This is the version two that that uh, has a more serious quality to it than that one. Um, and if I get my act together, I may actually put both of them on. Yeah, That'd you should fun. do that. That'd be fun. Um, David, put so work into that. There you go. Get it out uh, there. Thank get you, David, for that. There. Yeah, thanks, David. And uh, all of you listeners out there, uh, by all means, tell us what you think about this episode beneath mm-hmm. the surface. Um, tell us where we got it right. Tell us where we got it wrong. Tell us where mm-hmm. you feel satisfied or dissatisfied about this episode. Uh, email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Uh, talk to us on Twitter at Stargate Walking or go mm-hmm. to the Facebook page or the Facebook group and share your opinions and thoughts there. And mm-hmm. by all means, if you want to uh, help uh, sh- determine which episodes uh, we will have to rewatch and recount and uh, reassess, uh, then join us on Patreon uh, for for that. So last time you mentioned emancipation, I just feel it in my bones. I just feel it in my bones. People are going to be like, ha, watch this one again, suckers. (laughs) (laughs) Totally going to happen. Well, (sighs) you know, a long time ago in a galaxy not so far from here, uh, you and I were talking and and we agreed that this would be a good and fun and worthwhile endeavor. And so this is the ramifications of (laughs) those decisions. (laughs) <laughs> this is the consequence. You, you <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fine, I'll deal with it. All right. <laughs> so, uh, with that, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Star- Stargate. See you next time. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Can't talk. <laughs> Too much mead. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. <laughs>